Do you all know that I don't like doing uh, themed messages? <laughs> don't like themed messages, all right? I think that uh, holidays are uh, the number one time in church when passages are taken out of context. Okay, it, it's but only but it's, o- it's only but so many verses you can find about Mother's Day, right? Okay, or Father's Day, or Valentine's Day, or anything else, right? But some for some reason we find one every year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> James, chapter two. Working on finishing up chapter two, or trying to. And we are looking at verses 14 through 26. And we started this last week, and I titled it How to Handle Faith Claims. Okay, so remember, we're working through James. James is talking about faith. James wants us to not just have shallow faith, but he wants us to have genuine faith that produces. Um, um, that we demonstrate um, our genuine relationship with Christ. And so as we worked our way through chapter one, we saw that um, faith is something that is supposed to uh, hold us when we're going through trials. At the end of chapter one, James begins to talk about how our faith is supposed to be lived out. And uh, we saw that at the beginning of chapter two. Now, as we move into this last part of chapter two, James begins this conversation that we are all familiar with, right? We are all familiar with the phrase faith without works is dead, okay? Um, And yet, uh, we don't always recognize um, what James is trying to say. So I want us to spend a couple of, of, of weeks looking at this passage. Last week, we looked at Um, two competing ideas, right, that's not contradictory. Paul says that um, you cannot be justified by your works. Um, And then James comes back and says, you will be justified by your works, okay? And so we looked at last week to see why these statements are not contradictions, okay? Because James and and Paul are looking at two different things, right? Um, And so we will finish this up next week, but... Um, I wanted to uh, come back after talking to uh, some people and, and clear up, clarify um, something, and we'll do that th- this week, and then I'll be done. Let's look at our text today, starting at verse 14. James says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God you will do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? 
Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Father, we thank you today for allowing us another opportunity to come and to uh, look at your word. I pray that you would give us understanding um, to be able to um, put together accurately what James and Paul um, is saying in these two different texts uh, that we looked at last week and what we're looking at this week. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that salvation is by faith alone. There is nothing that we can do in order to bring about our own salvation. That was accomplished for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. And yet, the faith that we have in Christ must produce works in our lives. We thank you now. We ask that you would give us understanding in these things. Amen. Amen. Um, Again, just to reiterate from last week, Uh, We looked at these two things, right, that salvation is by faith alone. Okay, we looked at several passages of Scripture last week in order to um, to prove that. Right. Um, Just if we were to just go back just to Ephesians chapter two. All right. Um, Verses eight and nine. Paul says that um, for you are. um, hmm, Why did I mess that verse up? Paul begins in verses 8 and 9 talking about salvation being by faith, right? He says that it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, okay? So it is a gift of God, not of works, right? It's nothing that you can do in order to produce this salvation, right? But then he goes on in verse 10 to say what? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we should walk in them, all right? So um, the Bible closely um, puts these ideas together, that salvation is only by faith in Christ. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that can bring about our salvation. Your works mean nothing, And at the same time, the Bible also says that those who have faith in Christ should do good works because the works, although they do not produce your salvation, they are the result of your salvation. And um, as we saw last week and we'll see again next week when we look at just these four examples that Paul, I mean, that James uses here. If you do not have good works, right, biblically speaking, that is an indication of you not being genuinely saved. Your faith will produce God-honoring works. And if it does not, then the biblical authors, to quote Paul, tells you, 2 Corinthians 13, 3, to examine yourself 
to see if you are in the faith. Okay. Um, that's not where I want to um, focus today, right? I was going to finish up these verses today and look at these four examples, um, but I want to look at a couple other verses to um, for some clarification, all right? Um, I was ca- talking to um, some people um, this week, um, not just here in the church, but uh, some friends of mine, and I think that... Um, The reason that we are spending so much time on James, right, is so that we can understand what faith is. Okay. So remember, before we even started in chapter one, um, I took maybe six Sundays in order to go through what the Bible says about faith. Right. Um, And as we worked our way through what the Bible says about faith, um, I said that faith must have three components. Who remembers those three components? Other than Tanya, she got her notebook open. I say, no, I'm playing. I'm messing with you. <laughs> What's the three, uh, three components? Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust, right? In order to have saving faith, you must have all three. You have to have knowledge of God. Okay. But you can't just know the facts of what the Bible says about God. You have to believe that those facts are true. Okay. Remember, I talked about there's this, um, <laughs> it's kind of odd. There's this uh, a New Testament scholar who is a Muslim. Okay. So he's a Muslim, but he's a New Testament scholar. And um, he wrote a book because there are tons of people who said that Jesus of Nazareth never lived. He's not a real person. Okay, so so this Muslim New Testament scholar who teaches at a seminary. He wrote a book compiling all of the evidence proving from historical records that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person and lived. We have the facts. He was on, I don't know, CNN or one of these um, shows, and, and details the evidence that Jesus was a real person that lived. The interviewer asked a follow-up question. Do you believe that Jesus was who he said he was? No. Why would I believe that? Okay. So, so, He compiles all of the evidence. He has all of the knowledge and information. But he doesn't believe that it's true. He was just a human being that, you know, people flocked to and people started writing false stories about him. Jesus wasn't really God. He was a real person. but, But why would I believe he's God? That doesn't make sense. Okay. So you have to have knowledge. You have to believe that that knowledge is true. But if you have the knowledge and believe the knowledge is true, that is still not enough to be saved. You have to entrust yourself to a person. You have to have to embrace a relationship with a person. You have to recognize that as God Jesus is alive and well and is able to have a relationship with you and you entrust yourself to him. 
That is biblical faith and salvation. Okay? Anything short of having the knowledge that you are a sinner and that Jesus died to save you, believing that that is true, and then embracing Jesus himself, right? You're not genuinely saved. Okay. Now, the question that I had to address with several people this week um, is, is simply, I prayed a prayer or I said I believe, right? And, and, and so, I, again, you have to be very careful with this, right? I'm, I'm not telling any individual person you're not saved, okay? I don't have a right to tell someone that. What, I can, what we have to be very clear on is that there are people who say they believe, right? But they have no evidence to back it up. And when we, when we meet people like that, right, we have to, to, to help them examine themselves, okay? So what I want to do is I want us to look at um, a couple of passages of, of Scripture here. Um, because th- th- this person quickly threw up John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, right, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so he quickly ended with, I'll see you in heaven. Okay. <laughs> and so my follow-up to him was, I, I love John 3.16. Can you turn with me to John chapter 2? Okay. And so I want you all to turn with me to John chapter 2 as well. Okay. John chapter 2. John was absolutely correct when he says all those who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. But the question then becomes again, what is this belief? It it, it must contain all three of these components. Now, the the easiest way to explain this to you, right, before we look at John chapter 2, is Judas how do, you, how do you explain Judas? Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, right? And he sent Judas out with the other 11 disciples, right? Really, it was 70 more disciples, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay. But um, he sends him out. Judas has the ability to, to cast out demons, Right? When, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 and he breaks the bread and he gives it to the disciples, it doesn't say he doesn't give anything to Judas, right? The food is multiplying in Judas's hands just like all of the other disciples. And yet, Judas was not saved. Jesus, when praying to his father, says, I have lost none of the people you have given me except the son of destruction. Right. So let's look at these passages of Scripture. Okay. Is there such thing as faith or believing that does not save? And I think that this is something that that we all struggle with or we are struggling with. Right. And want us to uh, to see that it is possible to believe in Jesus and not be saved. Look at verse twenty three. 
John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Many believed in his name. Okay, you see that? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But, verse 24, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, notice what it says here. It says that, that there were many who believed in him when they saw the signs that he made. Now, most people say, okay, they believed in Jesus. They must be saved. Right? 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 Okay, let me say it this way. The pastor gave an altar call. I walked down the aisle, and I prayed the prayer. Right? So I'm saved. I'm going to, I'm going to heaven. I, I prayed the prayer. that I just repeated after them and said the words. I'm automatically going to heaven. Right? John then says, Jesus would not commit himself to them. Because he knew what was going on in their hearts. So they believed in Jesus. They saw the miracles that Jesus was performing, and yet, and they believed in him. But Jesus would not commit himself to them because he knew what was really taking place in their heart. And John chapter 3 is really a continuation, if you see this actually in the Greek text, that this story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night is a, is is followed on what is said at the end of chapter 2. Nicodemus was one of these people because he comes to Jesus and says, we know, right, the, the people who believe, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one could do the things that you're doing unless God sent them. So they see the things that Jesus is doing. They can't deny the miracles that Jesus is performing, but they are not yet ready to accept him as God. You're a good teacher, right? You're a good rabbi. So me and Ra Nicodemus and Jesus were on the same level, right? You're a rabbi just like me. And so Jesus has this exchange with him about salvation because Nicodemus, though he believed, he really had not embraced Jesus as, as God. I want you to look at another example of this in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. What I want you to see is there is a type of faith that is not saving faith. Okay, remember, you should be hearing James chapter 2, verse 14, right? Um, um, if a man says he has faith, but does not have works, can that type of faith save him? Okay. There is a type of faith that a person can possess that is not saving faith. Again, John chapter 6, we see the same thing. Okay, we all know this story. This is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay. Jesus um, is out preaching, and the people don't want to go home, so they follow him for three days in the desert. Okay. That, that is a miracle in and of itself. Okay. Because if service normally goes more than 90 minutes, people are like, how long, how long is it going to be? I mean, they literally followed him for three days <laughs> and listened to him preach, right? And so now Jesus recognizes that the people are weary. 
Okay. And the disciples, um, just send them home, Jesus. Let them go. No, we can't send them three days back home. That we need to feed them. Okay. Well, we don't have any food. Somebody has some fish and some bread. Jesus multiplies the fish and the bread. Okay. The people eat. They're full because we know they were full because they immediately go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have a term for that. I won't use it. Okay. <laughs> but the next morning, okay, the next morning they wake up and Jesus is gone. Jesus leaves them and now it's morning time and they're looking for Jesus. They're probably looking for Jesus because they are hungry. Okay. I want you to start at verse 22. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the following day, right, the next morning, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except um, that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone alone, However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. All right, so they were so hungry, they rented boats to fi- go find them. Okay? Um, now, how they have money in the desert to, find, to buy boats, I don't know. But verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're seeking me because you, you were hungry and I provided you food. That's the only reason you want me. The only reason you want me is because there is some sort of benefit involved. I remember talking to uh, a friend, and uh, uh, this person was um, talking about how great her relationship with God is, and she prays every day. She does her devotions every day. And, and, and what's funny is that um, oftentimes this friend, when she's doing her devotions, takes pictures of the passage and things like that or the book that she's reading. In. And almost always the book that she has that she is doing her devotions on is about relationships. The passages that she studies is about relationships. <laughs> and so when I ask, well, have you read, you know, have you read anything in like Leviticus? Have you read anything in Hebrews? Have you read anything in, oh, no. It, it, the passages always stick to how to make herself better for a man or what, what a godly man is like. And, and, and so you're not seeking God. You're seeking God for a relationship. There's a world of difference in between those two things. 
You see, this is why I keep saying, you know, the way we are taught to, to read the Bible is what am I going through? Right. And so then we find well, what does the Bible say about what I'm going through? Right. We skip over everything else in the Bible just to find out well, what does the Bible say about my finances? What does the Bible say about being healed? What does the Bible say about divorce? <laughs> right. I'm like, it, it's got to be some small print in here. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> right. So we seek God not for himself, but for his benefit. And that's what Jesus says to these people. You aren't seeking me because you want me. You're seeking me because you ate of this bread and you were filled. He goes on to say, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. They, um, then they said to him, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, well, if you're not going to make breakfast, Jesus, what do we have to do? <laughs> okay. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, right? Not making food, but that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, well, what sign will you perform then? Okay. All right, you say we have to believe in you. Well, what are you going to do to prove it? Okay, well, I, I, I gave you our food last night. Okay, that should be enough. But no, we need another sign. We need breakfast. Okay. What sign will you perform, perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And the reason I know that they're asking for breakfast is notice what they said in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. Okay. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay. So that they're, they're only thinking about physical food. Give us what we want, Jesus. Then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread, which is from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. <laughs> okay, It's all about food. Jesus says, last verse, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus is trying to get them to see that they are only focused on their own needs. But he is their greatest need. Right? Again, there is a type of faith, right, that people can express but it is not saving faith. It is faith to, that God will give them what they want, but it is not about God. Okay. Now, what's interesting in this passage, I want you to skip down to verse 60. Okay. So, Jesus has this big conversation um, about him being the bread of life and, you know, all of that great stuff. We know this passage of Scripture. We went through the Gospel of John before. Um, but... The people leave. They're like, well, if you're not going to make breakfast, Jesus, we got to go. Okay, so, so, so the people leave Jesus. Okay. Jesus is left with only his disciples. Okay, 
Uh, we could look in uh, Luke chapter 10. We're not going to do that and see that Jesus did not have 12 disciples, right? He had the 12 disciples and he had 70 additional disciples. Okay, so he had at least 82 disciples um, um, all together, right? Um, so Jesus is left only with this group of disciples, right? 80-something people standing around. So Jesus begins to have a conversation with just his disciples, just the people who have left everything to follow him. Okay, So, of course, everyone in this group is saved, correct? All right, let's see if, if all of Jesus' disciples are saved. Verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus is talking to his disciples. His disciples have left everything. They've left their family. They've left jobs. They've left everything just to follow him. And he still says, some of you do not believe. For, verse 64, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to unto you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now, take a guess how many of his disciples walked away <laughs> and walked with him no more. Seventy of them. There's only 12 left, <laughs> okay? And it's kind of like, you know, Celebrity Apprentice. It's like, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, right? <laughs> you know, people just walked away. Except they were firing Jesus, <laughs> okay? Jesus is left with only the 12 disciples. And Jesus then turns to say to them, verse 67, do you also want to go? And they say, where can we go? You are the only one with the words to eternal life. You see, of the 80-something people that Jesus had following him, there were only 12 of them, excuse me, 11 of them. Okay, okay. One of them just didn't get the memo, right? Because he was the group accountant. You know, and John says that he would take the money and just put it in his own pocket. Okay, so, so Judas, but he was like, look, I, I ain't stupid. That's just more money for me. <laughs> okay. Eleven of them, only eleven of them saw Jesus as God and recognized that only he could give them eternal life. Faith is not about us. It is about God. It is knowledge. It is 
accepting that knowledge as true, and it is then embracing Jesus himself, right, regardless of if he gives us what we want or not, okay, right? If he, if he answers our prayers, he gives us what we want, that's great. If he does not, right, we could say with David, you know, he himself is our portion, right? That if he doesn't answer my prayers and give me what I want, I have him, and that's more than enough, okay? That is genuine faith. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 13. I'm almost done. Matthew chapter 13. We all know this parable. There is the, this is the parable of the sower. Okay. The parable of the sower. Oftentimes, we think that, um, that people who hear the gospel are unsaved because they reject the gospel. But I think that Jesus is teaching something different in Matthew chapter 13. Notice in chapter 13, uh, here we're looking at verses 18 through 23. Jesus says of all three, four of these examples, they received the seed. They received the word. Okay. They did not reject the gospel. They accepted the gospel when they heard it. Okay. Modern translation, they came down the aisle to pray the prayer. Okay. Verse 18, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, right, the gospel, and does not understand it, when the wicked one comes, and then the wicked one comes and snatches away that was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Excuse me, verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unprofitable. Verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. Okay. So notice what Jesus says. He has this parable of a sower, and he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed. And so it, you just take the seed and you just throw it out in the ground. <laughs> throw it out there, right? And so he says that the seed falls in various places. Some seed falls on good ground. Some falls on stony ground. Some fa fall among the thorns, right? These are the conditions of our hearts, okay? So, so as you're proclaiming the gospel, preaching, teaching people the Bible, right, it's like throwing seed out. But each person's heart, right, has a, a precondition. Some people have opened their hearts to God. They have prepared themselves. Some people's hearts are hard. They don't care what you say, right? I'm going to, nope, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, that sounds great, pastor. This is what I'm going to do, okay? And so Jesus says that it's like throwing seed out there. He does not say that any of these people reject the gospel. They receive the gospel. But first, right, for some, Satan just comes out like, mm, I'll take that. Right? He, just, he snatches it away. From, from them. 
There are some, verse 20, right, they, they hear it, but they receive it with joy, but because they're shallow, <laughs> okay, when tribulation or persecution comes, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, we don't like Christians. If you're a Christian, we're going to have to fire you. <laughs> Take all my Bible verses down. Nope, 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 nope. Right? So persecution comes. People criticize Christians. Oh, man, those Christians crazy, ain't they? Right. And then you secretly go and pray. All of these things happen, right? Third group of people, there are some people who receive the word, but because they love money, it says that the word is choked out of their lives. But then there are some people who receive it on good ground. Those people are the ones where their faith produces something in their life. Again, we're talking about how do we handle faith claims? How do we handle people who say they believe in Jesus, but their life does not look like it? This is what, is what James is addressing. This is the dilemma of our generation, <laughs> of our world, right? People who, who say they know Jesus, say they have a relationship with him, but their life, as we saw in the verse, um, some verses last week, we say we know him, but our works deny him. Um, I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at these, this one more passage, and then we stop. I'm done. And I'll just wrap it all up. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is a addressing some people that he had a relationship with. Um, these people were probably maybe companions of his. Okay. <coughs> Listen to what he says in Verse 20, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'll start at verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected, okay, some have rejected faith and a good conscience, Concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay. So Paul is addressing some people, right? We know this phrase, deliver them to Satan, right? He, he uses this in, in 1 Corinthians, right? This phrase, deliver them to Satan, means to kick them out of the church, okay? You can no longer be a member in our church. Get out. Okay, <laughs> right. So Paul says this of people um, who are not living up to the standard of a Christian. So he says we put them out of the church. And we allow Satan in the world to beat them up so that they can get themselves together and then we let them come back. Okay. So he says this of these people, right, uh, of Hymenaeus and Alexander. 
he says that he put them out of the church because they have rejected faith and a good conscience and they are shipwrecking their faith. Okay. I want you to turn over to, to 2 Timothy and see what, again what Paul says about uh, um, these people. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to ruin to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and overthrows the faith of some. Okay, so uh, these they didn't get the point when Paul kicked them out the church. Okay, so they continued on their path and now they are teaching false things that is destroying the faith of other people. So at one point, Paul believed that they were Christians. (laughs) But over time, to him, they had proven themselves not to be so. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, I want us to keep in mind, uh, again, why I am um, saying these things, right? Um, I think all of us know uh, people in this condition, right? Say, hey, I'm a Christian, okay? Um, what evidence, right? We talk about, I forget who, who said that, you know, if you were taken to court and they wanted to convict you of being a Christian, would they have enough evidence, okay? <laughs> um, I think that there's, we, we all know people who we say, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if, if they have enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian, brother. Um, um, and, and yet they would be vehemently say, you're wrong. I'm a Christian. One of the major ways that the Bible talks about making sure that someone is a Christian is if they persevere. Okay. So if a person says that they are a Christian, but then they fall away from Christ, right, um, then most likely they weren't, weren't never a Christian, right? And, and we all know I have friends who... Um, um, I, I talked to him regularly, right? You know, he was, was in church, he was in ministry, and now, I mean, he went to Egypt, and he, he took a tour, saw the hieroglyphs and stuff, and he said, you know what, this stuff is older than Christianity. This is probably true, okay? So now he's off um, doing all of the Egyptian religion stuff, and uh, he says, you know what, I had to admit that I never really believed this stuff. I just did it because all my friends were doing it. In church, on a ministry, serving, he would get to church before me, 
stay there after me sometimes. <laughs> but he had to admit that he never really believed it. It's easy for us to see that. I've had friends who sang on the choir with me, and today they're Muslim. So what does that mean? I mean, they, they were Christian. They believed. They walked down the aisle. They prayed the prayer. I believe Jesus saved me, forgive me for my sins. But then they grow up, and they become Muslims. Well, what does that mean? Are they really just saved and confused? The truth is that they were never saved. Now, it's easy for us to, uh, to see that, but what about f- our, our friends who say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm saved. They don't convert to another religion, but they just don't deal with Jesus at all. The Bible says that those who are genuinely saved, they will endure. And if they don't endure, it is because they were not genuinely saved. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. There's many of these statements that we could look at. But listen to what Paul, um, mm, I believe the author was Paul. I know you're not supposed to say what Paul says, you know, the author of Hebrews. Okay. You know, modern scholars are so much more enlightened than, uh, than, the, than the church was. But, you know, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant, for testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if, this is what he says, whose house we are, right? Christ is faithful over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. The way that we know that you are genuinely a Christian, saved, right, one of Christ, is that you will hold your confession until the end. If you fall away from Christ, right, that is proof that you are not one of his. Verse 14 says the same thing. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Right. So endurance, right? Remember James chapter 1. Endurance is the mark that proves whether or not you are genuinely one of his. This idea is so important, right? This is the whole point of the book of Jude. Right. We all say this at the end of church. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling. OK. What is Jude talking about? The whole book is talking about walking away from Christ. Right. He says God is able to keep you from falling. Right. But he just addressed all of these people who have walked away from Christ. 
I want you to listen, look at this last passage. Last passage, I'm done. To see why this is important. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We have been, we talked about this a couple of Sundays ago, right? We talked about all of the persecution that is taking place around the world of Christians, right? Um, in China, right? I mean, they are literally taking, uh, taking the churches from, from people, right? Um, if you still come to church, they are following you around, right, to make sure that they are, can get you fired, take all your possessions. They, the government is literally paying your neighbors to turn you in as a Christian. And then they are snatching you up and taking you to re-education camps to re-educate you into becoming an atheist. You will not believe in God. They're doing the same thing with Muslims in China. They have a million Muslims in re-education camps right now. You're, gonna, you're not going to continue to believe in God. Now, we don't know what happens to you if you continue to believe in God. We just, nobody has seen you for months. We, don't, we just don't know what happened to you in these camps. All across Africa, Christians are being slaughtered. They are, we, if, if you subscribe to the Voice of the Martyrs, right, you see images of, of, of eight-year-old kids you will denounce Christ. No, I won't. They build a bonfire. You're going to denounce Christ. No, I'm not. Okay. And they have pictures of eight-year-old kids burn rocks all over their bodies because they would not deny Christ. Some people in these persecutions that's happening in, in Asia and in Africa, all over the world, you know, for some reason we live in a bubble. Oh, that can't happen in America. <laughs> okay. People every single day are making a decision, just like the point of the book of Hebrews, right? They're being persecuted, and they're saying, well, if you just turn back to Judaism, right, and, and stop being a Christian, you won't be persecuted. And so the whole book of Hebrews is, is every single chapter. Do not turn away. Do not turn away. Do not turn away. Because people are faced with persecution, being killed, watching my children killed, or just saying it's just not worth it. Let me just turn back. Increasingly, this is going to happen to all Christians. Okay? I said this two Sundays ago. Made a whole bunch of people mad. <laughs> it is coming to America. You don't have to believe it. It is coming to America, right? And I'm not talking about the Eddie Murphy movie. <laughs> it is impossible for Jesus to say it's going to happen. It happens everywhere around the world, but not in America. You may not die for your faith, but you may be put on the spot. I was reading this article this week. I debated on whether I, t I would bring it up, but... This kind of touched on the conversation we had a couple of Sundays ago um, and how, we, uh, you know, I, I brought up the fact that 
there are many who want to use the, the topic of, of homosexuality as, a, as a, 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 a something to beat the church up on, right? And people are like, Psh, why do you keep bringing this topic up? I'm like, man, God is so funny. Do y'all hear about this bill that just passed out of the uh, uh, House Judiciary um, um, Committee? It is called the Equality Act. Okay, long story short, the Equality Act says that you will no longer be allowed to use your religious freedom as an excuse for bigotry. We will protect homosexuality, transgenderism, all of these things, and specifically, this will prohibit employers and individuals who rent out apartments in their homes, preschools, and even religious schools and organizations from making choices based on basic biology, bodily privacy, and the belief about the nature of marriage. Hey, I understand you might want to believe what the Bible says about that stuff. No, we don't care about that stuff anymore. You believe that stuff? You won't have a job. So the question is, well, do I, do I stand on what the Bible says or do I eat? Now, I want you to read, listen to what Paul says, okay? Um, because my job is, sometimes people think that when I bring these things up, I'm talking about politics. Oh, he's just talking about, you know, which party to vote for. They, I personally don't care what party you vote for. I just don't want you to fall away, <laughs> okay? Vote for whoever you want to vote for, okay? But listen to what Paul says in this passage, Second. Timothy, I mean, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. Okay, so, so he's saying Jesus is coming back, and you know that when Jesus returns, we're going to be raptured out with him. Okay, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, excuse me, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the, what is that? Falling away comes first. What is he saying? He's saying that, Jesus is not going to return until after what he calls the falling away, the apostasy, where people will turn their backs on Christ and walk away. We see it happening all around the world. In Europe, church attendance is only 3%. 3%. And they just did a poll that says more than 50% of churchgoers do not believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins, or that you can be saved by putting your trust in him. Okay, so 3% of, your, of the continent goes to church, and 54% of them ain't even saved. And I don't know if you keep track of polling in America, <laughs> but we down to what, what is it, 38%? 38% of people who... Who say they actually believe believe this stuff? 
a falling away will happen first, then he comes back. And Jesus says that if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. So, so that's my agenda. My agenda is not, oh, make sure you vote for the right candidate. I don't, like, look, when you get to heaven, right, there's going to be no voting, <laughs> okay? Like, you're not, you're not going to be like, okay, well, who is it? Do you want Jesus to be president or you want, like, look, look, look that's not how it's going to work, right? That's not how it's going to work. My point is make sure you get there. We all, including myself, Paul says, examine yourself and make sure you are in the faith. The only way we know, okay, to bring us back to James, because this we'll look at these four examples next Sunday. The only way we know that we are genuinely one of his is that his life inside of us must produce change. There must be a difference. It must be transformation taking place. If there is no change taking place, I don't have the authority to say that you are not saved, right? Jesus says, you know, judge not lest you be judged. I'm not looking for judgment, okay, right? But he goes on to say in the same chapter, right, you will know them by their fruit, right? So I'm not judging. I'm just a fruit inspector. I'm just... I'm just looking. I'm just looking around for, you know, do I see some apples around? You, you know, that's all. I'm, that's all I'm looking for, right? I just, I just want. I look. Just show me one apple, right? It's not, I don't need the whole orchard. Just like if you got one apple, I'm like, yep, you saved, <laughs> right? That's all. If you got one apple, one banana, you know, a few nuts, <laughs> you know, the church is the church is just a collection of, you know. But, but you got something to show that he is working in you, right? That's the only way we know that someone is genuinely saved, okay? So, so this is what James is trying to say. James is saying, right, if you say that you have faith, but you don't have any works, can that type of faith save you? The answer is no. He says, because the demons believe, like, you, you're not doing it. Oh, psh, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Or the, the demons believe that. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, you just on the category of the devil. Okay. Like, but they, they believe and they tremble. Ooh. <laughs> okay, like, you know, like, I mean, they, they take it a step further. It's like, ooh, they, I mean, they even get scared in his presence, right? Like, you want to make sure that you can go beyond the demons, right? And he goes on to talk about Abraham and Rahab, how their faith produces works in, the, in their lives. Now, all of us grew up in different households, different circumstances. All of us, you know, make different decisions. We cannot say that someone has to have as much works as me because that's usually what our issue is. Like, oh, they, aren't, they are not like me. Right? not. I have all of these works. Um, half of them are just wax, <laughs> right? Just wax apples, right? But, um, but 
the Holy Spirit is doing different things in each of our lives, right? But we should have some evidence, right, that that he is working. In Philippians, you know, he who has begun a good work, he's going to keep working, okay? So, so all of us are not at the same place, right? We're not all going to have the same amount of growth and maturity. You know, some of us are going to have a little bit of, you know, it takes us, you know, we take small steps. Some of us take big steps, right? Some of us take a step, sit back and relax for a while, you know, smell the flowers, you know, then we take the next step, right? But as long as you are taking steps, right, that is proof that he is within you doing his work. So are we clear? Everybody got what I'm saying, right? I'm not trying to say anybody in this room is not saved. Okay, let me make sure I check off all of my all of my boxes to clarify <laughs> everything. I'm not trying to say that that you all you're not saved. I'm not trying to say that you have have to have enough works in order to be saved, right? What I'm saying is that if you are saved, you will have works. Now those works will be different for each one of us, right? Um, but you will have works. All right, let's pray. Make sure you get out to Hibachi Grill early. All right, all right. Or wherever you're going, Red Lobster or somewhere. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have looked uh, in these passages. I know these uh, last two Sundays we have not followed just the format of just you know, um, looking at, at one particular text and trying to explain it. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand everything that you are, are saying in your word about salvation. Help us to know that salvation is by faith alone. It is about putting our faith and our trust in you and embracing you as our Savior. But when we are genuinely saved, the Holy Spirit inside of us will produce works, just like any living tree will produce fruit. And a tree who does not produce fruit is a dead tree. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to examine uh, the fruit that's in our lives. Because through examining ourselves, we get a chance to see exactly where we are with you. Some people may uh, decide that, hey, I, I don't really know him. And then they can take the steps to embrace you as their Savior and gen have genuine faith. Some of us may, may say that, um, after examining ourselves, that we are saved, but there are some areas in our lives that we need to work on. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us as individuals, because none of us are perfect, and all of us have room to grow, and therefore we should exercise humility and not look at other people's fruit, but focus on our own. Lord, there have been so many people who have been hurt um, by those who are calling themselves examining someone else's fruit, Lord. Help us to take the beam out of our own eyes before we try to get the speck out of someone else's eye. But at the same time, Lord, help us as brothers and sisters to hold one another accountable and encourage one another to continue to pursue you and to produce the fruit that Jesus says will glorify our Father in heaven. We thank you now for your word. We thank you for all that you have done for us. I pray that you would keep growing us and help us to rest in you, knowing that if you have begun a good work in us, you will keep working until the day you come for us. We thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.